Welcome to The Healthcare Hangover. I'm one of your hosts, David Contorno. And I'm your other host, Emma Fox. This is a podcast about the headaches we've been encountering in the healthcare system that are leaving us feeling a little hungover. Let's dive in. I actually have not so much of a healthcare hangover to start this one off, if you're interested. Of course I am. (laughs) Okay. So I was in the gym the other day, decided to go back to the gym after some time off. And I went a little too hard. I uh, went right back into my old weightlifting habits, didn't stretch because I'm that kind of person. And I did something to my right shoulder. So I visited a chiropractor down the road. And people who've been listening to the last few episodes know we're cash pay patients. So presented myself cash pay. And of course, I needed uh, an x-ray of my shoulder. And you'll never guess what happened. Tell me. Before the doctor, the chiropractor, gave me the x-ray, he told me the price and asked me if I was okay with it. He actually said, I'd really like to take some pictures of your shoulder, just to make sure there's nothing going on with the joint. Are you okay with that? I said, yeah, of course, definitely want to find out what's wrong. And then he said, well, uh, just so you know, and you're not surprised later, this x-ray is going to be $75. Is that okay with you? And I tell you, David, when I had a moment, I was like, wow, that's amazing. I, I said to him, I just love healthcare transparency. And then he said to me that one of his patients had been referred to Atrium which is the hospital system that sits right next to this little chiropractic practice. And uh, he had been sent there for x-rays and he was charged $475 for the same x-ray that he could have gotten at the chiropractic's office for less than $75. And he was outraged. You know, I just got off a call with a surgeon up in the Boston area. His name is Michael Reinhorn Mm -hmm. and he is a hernia surgeon and he owns a couple of facilities that only do hernias. And I got connected with him because we had a a client, an employee at a client who was going to have a hernia done at a local general hospital. Mm -hmm. And they had quoted him $20,000. And this hospital is not particularly good at hernias, mainly because they don't do a lot of them. Whereas this guy does 500 hernias a year. His partner does 500 hernias a year. And they were (laughs) $7,200 instead of 20,000. And you know, it boggles my mind that we don't demand this. And we get this type of transparency, not just at chiropractor, but often at dentists, Mm -hmm. often at veterinarians, right? Oh my gosh. The veterinarians are always like, we have two dogs. We have a big dumb dog and a little energetic dog. They're beautiful, both of them. But the big dumb one is so sweet, but he has he's allergic to everything. So we're always at the vet. And every time we go, they always tell us the price up front. And they always go over it before they give our dogs any treatment. And they give us options too. Like we can do this and this is the likely outcome or we can do this and this is the likely outcome. Here Mm -hmm. are the costs. And you just, the thing that boggles my mind about healthcare is that in most of healthcare, neither the consumer, which in healthcare is the patient, nor the provider of the goods or services, which in most cases is the doctor, neither one of those parties know what the price is going to be until long after the services are already rendered. Could you imagine if we sold cars in that environment, if we sold (laughs) groceries in that environment? I mean, it's totally nonsensical and people wonder why we have such a dysfunctional healthcare system. I know. I kind of want to dig into this topic though, because this is something that's been bugging me for a while, but you know, we thought we were kind of making progress when 
the government said, hey, hospitals, you got to make your pricing known to the general public. Um, I feel like they didn't quite do that exactly. No, actually, I would argue um, some of them are just taking the fine because uh, it's a lot less than not only the work that it would take to create the files that they're supposed to create, but they feel that putting out their pricing is somehow giving their competitors a competitive edge, which is silly. But um, but I look at this problem of this information around cost and quality as both a supply side issue and a demand side issue. And what I mean is, yes, the hospitals and doctors are, are, are loathe or some cases refusing to put that forward, but patients are not demanding it either. Patients mm-hmm. are not saying, if you can't tell me what the cost is going to be and what the likely outcome is going to be, I'm not going to you, which would stop these big hospital systems in their tracks and force them to change. So when the consumer is not demanding different, then different's not going to happen. But as it relates to the hospitals that did comply, first of all, it's an MRF, which is a machine readable file, which means it's not human readable. So right off the bat, we need some other middleman to come in (laughs) to translate the data for us, which is part of the problem in healthcare. And uh, for those that did comply, they often put it on an unlinked page on their website. Mm -hmm. And they typically put programming on the website that prohibits the spiders, what they're called, the Googles that go and find these things and add it to their search lists. They prevent them from finding them automatically. So you have to like hunt around for these things. And then once you find it, if you're even sure that you found it, you now need a machine to read it for you. And here's what I'll tell you, really grinds my gears about the data that is available. And that is as soon as that data hit our market, one thing became abundantly clear, which is the very worst financial deal you can get in healthcare is using a carrier. And I'm not kidding. I I challenge our listeners to go to your local hospital system, one that you're familiar with, try to find their price transparency data, and you'll probably be prompted to download a massive Excel file because they have contracts upon contracts. And just look at them. Just I guarantee you that the cash price is almost always the lowest price on that spreadsheet. And not only that, but the disparity between Blue Cross, Cigna, Aetna, United for the same procedures at the same hospital is outrageous. What about the disparity between what the carriers are paying and what cash patients pay or what Medicare patients pay? Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I say this all the time, but I speak to a lot of hospital CFOs. And if you ask a hospital CFO, what are your five main sources of revenue? They're going to say commercial. And by the way, they bucket all the carriers into one bucket because while the pricing does fluctuate from procedure to procedure, carrier to carrier, in aggregate, they all pay about the same. Then he's going to have, or she's going to have Medicare, Medicaid, cash, and charity care. Charity care is because it's revenue because it gives them huge tax write-offs. So if you ask the CFO, which one of those five results in your highest reimbursement rate? It's hands down commercial. It's, it's your health insurance. In other words, when you throw down your insurance card, your Blue Cross or your United or Cigna or Aetna, you might think that they're saving you money, but in reality, you are contractually obligating both yourself and your health plan or your employer, if you're self-funded, to paying the highest price in healthcare. As a matter of fact, that higher price is so seductive that banks typically give better interest rates on loans when what's called their payer mix, when they're 
mix of commercial versus government charity and cash pay, when the commercial is a higher percentage of their revenue coming in, they're considered to be more financially stable because they're getting more money at the highest reimbursement rate possible. Mm -hmm. You know what else I've been throwing around too? And I talked to a couple of my compliance friends about this and, and I actually believe there's a case here, but what about the disparity in prices being a case for discrimination since the patient has no choice? So for example, if you are a member of an employer who has chosen Cigna as your health plan, you're going to be subjected to whatever Cigna is charging or being getting reimbursed to the, the hospital, right? But you don't have a choice in that. So you don't have, even, even if you were looking to get the information up front, if you're insured with a fully insured health plan, it doesn't matter. It still doesn't matter. It, it's still going to be what it's going to be. And I think patients are so disconnected because when you're a patient, when you're consuming healthcare, it's already a nightmare enough scenario. But you might only be paying a copay or you might only be paying your $250, $500 out of pocket that's falling off of your coinsurance. And they're not, they have no idea until they get the EOB what the billed charges was and, and what the allowed charge was. So I think they're so disconnected from, from how much healthcare actually costs. And I'll tell you that I, I had the thinking that I'm about to share with you, but it's been many, many years. Not only do they not really care much about how much the plan paid because they fail to recognize that how much the plan pays results in how much they're going to pay the following year. Mm -hmm. But I can remember when I had a big procedure when I was in my young 20s, I was like, you know what? The insurance company should pay. Darn it. I've been paying into the system way more than I've been using. Finally, they're paying something back. And that also is combined with the fact that people think more expensive care results in better outcomes, which mm -hmm. we generally know the opposite to be true. So they feel comforted by the fact that they went to an expensive place. They feel grateful or punitive, actually, I would argue, that the insurance paid out a very large number on their behalf. Mm -hmm. And you know, half the time they can't even afford their out-of-pocket. Mm -hmm. So they're going to wind up negotiating that or, or even going to collections or even worse, getting sued. So what did their insurance really do for them? That's my question. What does the traditional health insurance plans do for doctors, for employers, or for patients? Can you name anything positive? No. There, I, I just had a call with uh, somebody who most people in the industry know, Nelson Groswald. Um, and his question was, was similar. We were having just a, a very nice conversation about the healthcare system in general and about how we're not really looking to fix it anymore. We're looking to build something different because we understand that this mammoth cannot be slain. Um, and he said, what, what do the carriers really do? They, they don't do anything. They just move money around. And he's right. A lot of carriers, we had this discussion and I, it, funnily enough, I had uh, the similar discussion a couple of days ago when I was on a podcast and that is that carriers are, are in the business of making money. Your renewal every year is getting them more money. Like nobody is in the business of losing money and they've got the market cornered because people very inaccurately think that they can't get healthcare without health insurance. But I would argue that it's actually easier 
and more affordable and a much better experience when you remove health insurance from the process of healthcare. I know, but they've led us to believe that if we don't have them, we're going to be worse off. And it's so inbred. In, and I think it's more in Americans than other countries. But there's this feeling that if I don't have name brand insurance, I'm not going to get name brand healthcare. And um, it's obviously a falsehood. And I think people are starting to wake up to it. But at the end mm -hmm. of the day, I don't mind hospitals making money. I don't mind doctors making money. I don't mind carriers making money. I just have a problem with how they make money. And I'm going to put it really bluntly. And I, I think I got this from Dave Chase, this uh, little metaphor here. But imagine for a minute if fire departments only got paid when there was a fire. They would want as many fires to occur as possible. And the bigger the fire, the more money they get. So they wouldn't have fire extinguisher mandates. They wouldn't have fire codes. They wouldn't have sprinklers in commercial buildings because they would want as many fires to occur as possible. But instead, they operate on a fixed budget. And the less fires that occur, the more money they have left over. Well, our healthcare system works exactly the same way, except in this case, your fire is you being sick. And the sicker you are, and the longer you're sick, and the longer you're on medications or going in and out of the hospital, the more money the entire system makes. Health insurance included. A lot of Americans think that if health insurers cut down on costs, that their profit goes up. And we know that that's not, not true at all. But that is our healthcare system. There is one thing that would collapse our healthcare and health insurance system. And that is if we got healthier in this country, it would collapse. You know, I'm glad you brought that up because we we talk about it a lot. And I think you're really good at explaining to the average healthcare consumer taking these really complex components of the healthcare system and breaking it down into simple terms. So you mentioned that the way that people are paid is what's influencing the system. And I think, you know, most advisors at this point, even if you deny being influenced by it, you do know that the incentives exist. I mean, it's on paper, black and white paper. You can look up your local carrier's bonus program for brokers. It's right there on their website. They're not trying to hide it. I mean, it's, it's a brilliant stroke of genius, don't you think? Like carriers have figured out how to have a massive workforce that they can pay pennies to. I mean, some of the brokers, let's face it, they're getting some pretty big checks from the carrier. Mm -hmm. Overrides, bonuses, right? You write Trips. more business with us. We'll give you this, that, and the other. But doctors are also influenced. Can you break it down for me? How are most doctors paid? The two most common metrics that influence a doctor's paycheck, and this is especially true of doctors that work for health systems, which most of them do nowadays, um, two factors. The first is patient volume. The more patients they see in a day, typically the more money they make. Oftentimes they have minimum patient volume requirements. Mm -hmm. That can be as many as 30 patients in a day. If you're seeing 30 patients in a day, how much time are you spending per patient? Not a heck of a lot. The other metric, and this is a little bit lesser known in the general public, is something called an RVU. And it's basically a measurement of how much revenue that doctor is helping generate for the health system, often in areas outside his office or her office. So if, um, if you go into your primary care doctor because your back hurts, the most profitable path for that doctor is to, first of all, write you a script for an opioid to deal with the pain. And we know that that's where most opioid addicts start is a legitimate prescription taken exactly as prescribed. And then they send you to their buddy, the back surgeon. And once you go to a back surgeon, you've preordained back surgery being the most likely outcome, whether it's the appropriate one or not, is not really relevant to that. And that doctor got you out 
uh, of the office quickly. So therefore they can move to the next patient. And they sent you to the place where the most expensive care is most likely to occur. And I would like to say one thing about back surgeries in the US. Statistically speaking, the most likely outcome of back surgery in the US is a second back surgery. And we've seen, right? We've seen, Emma, where people go to the same back surgeon three, four, five, six times. Every time it's getting worse every time. And they just keep going back. He's so nice. His staff is so attentive. Like, who cares? He's not doing good for your back. Like, mm-hmm. I don't understand how we don't we don't hold them accountable to that. I know. I, I can't even tell you how many times I've, we've reviewed claims data for our own clients who are going back to the exact same surgeon because they just love their sunshiny disposition and <laughs> they keep getting operated on. It's crazy. But I do want to clarify my feelings on this because it, I, it's true. Doctors are paid in in that way. But I think about that, similarly, as I think about the way that most traditional brokers are paid, which is that they're really put in an impossibly unfair position. When I was talking with Nelson today, I said, you know, I worked for carriers for over a decade and I got paid more when I retained my book of business and when I cross-sold additional products that benefited or increased the revenue for my carrier that I represented. Did I do it? Absolutely, I did it because I have a family and I have to put food on the table. And if someone gives me an opportunity to maximize my income, who is not going to do that? And not only that, so I think to deny that you're influenced by the financial incentives is to deny you're human. I mean, we've mm-hmm. operated on financial incentives long before currency even existed. Mm-hmm. And um, and so that that's issue number one. But, you know, I think in a lot of ways, it, it's not. You, you, they, these hospitals and these carriers are so good at not just spinning themselves to the general public, but they're even better at spinning themselves to their own employees. And there's so many people in healthcare and health insurance that think they're doing good, even though the results they keep delivering are bad, bad, bad. It's almost like this attitude of, well, I'm less worse than them. And that makes mm-hmm. me good, which, you know, we don't, we don't live by, but it really is quite a, a, a phenomenon. But I do get frustrated with doctors and brokers denying their influence by it when they keep delivering the outcomes that those incentives are meant to incentivize. Well, I'll challenge you on something, actually, because I think it's time for us, meaning me and you, to start talking about the systemic influence differently. Because the truth is that at our company, we bill our clients. So we always have a transparent direct bill fee. And we work with our clients ahead of time and we say, what are your goals? And 100% of clients have the same goal, which is I want to pay less for healthcare and we don't think you can do it. And so our consulting agreement includes a performance bonus for us if we achieve the goals of the client. And because of that, we know that if we work our asses off all year long and micromanage that plan with a fine tooth comb, we are going to get a nice big bonus at the end of the year. So we too are influenced by the incentive. It's just the incentive is different. That's exactly right. When you're paid commission and you make more money as your client's costs go up, Mm-hmm. Where's the incentive? And you know, the ACA did push a lot of um, carriers to go to a PEPM, mm-hmm. but once again, it's a lot of work what we do. Where right. is the compensation for you to do it? You're just getting flat. You've removed the perverse incentive when you go to a PEPM compensation for brokers, but you've not 
realign the incentives as they should be. I do want to go on record because I know we have some listeners that are not going to like this topic as much as others. I, I think I hear a lot that brokers are unethical and I don't believe that. I absolutely don't believe it. I think some, there's always going to be some bad apples in every single industry, right? You can't, you can't get a hundred percent good guys. But what I will say is that the environment that we've been given that was created by health insurance carriers to conduct our business in is unethical. So you can be a person of upstanding ethics, but we're all trying to work in this system that is designed to make us chase the money. And until you turn your back on that, I don't think there's anything that you can do. Yeah. I mean, listen, the the system was set up brilliantly. I tell people all the time, the healthcare system is not broken, despite what a lot of people think. It's working really well, but it just wasn't designed by employers, doctors, or patients. So it's not Mm -hmm. working well for those three entities, Uh, but it is working really well for a lot of people. I mean, look at how much the Cigna CEO made. I think he made like 20 something million dollars last year. And like, Mm -hmm. and and the sicker we are, the more money they make. That's, That's literally how it goes. Well, here's what I would leave our audience with. I challenge you if you are not already, if you're a consultant, even if you're a patient, if you're an employer, figure out what you can do. What one thing can you do differently to turn that incentive around? Because I really do see a lot of momentum in our circles right now where we've abandoned reforming the current system. And we focused all of our efforts on building a parallel system that works better, that is more affordable. And I think once people just start changing one thing at a time, it doesn't have to be abrupt. doesn't have to be like we did it. I, I think the, the wheels will start turning and we can build this alternative system a lot quicker. That's what we're here to do. Well, thanks for joining me on another episode. I guess I'll keep people updated on the state of my shoulder. (laughs) Thanks so much for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review. And remember, there's always a hangover with healthcare. Until next time.